right? Uh, if you're new to mission, my name is Eric Baker, and uh, you're like, oh my goodness, I might as well come on the day they're talking about money. Um, we work through books of the Bible, and so the reason why we work through books of the Bible exegetically is that we believe that that's the most faithful um, to God's Word and um, to the equipping of the saints. In doing so, it forces us to preach things that I would never preach, including this passage. All right? First uh, Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 15 will lead us into very controversial waters. If there's anything that is countercultural, it is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 through 15. Um, within our culture, as it poses uh, lots of questions, it poses questions about are, are there different roles between men and women in the church? Are, are, are there opportunities for women to speak or should they be silent and always be silent? Um, can women be pastors? What does it mean that a woman will be saved through childbearing? I have no idea. But I'm going to try today. And where does the gospel intersect all of these issues? You know, sometimes when you sit down as a, a, a preaching pastor... Um, who consistently does this. Sometimes it's like Monday, you know, I kind of read it devotionally, and by the end of Monday, I've got a pretty good, clear direction on where I'm heading, right? Um, and uh, pretty much the commentaries and all of those sorts of things just kind of help make sure that I'm not crazy, right? Then there are weeks like this, when you read it and you go, I think I'm getting a stomach bug, and I'm going to call Justin on Saturday night. I feel it coming seven days from now. It's going to happen. I'm not going to be able to be there all of a sudden, and Justin's going to have to spring into action. It's always tough when you have to jump into the commentaries, and pretty much the, every line in both historical and in modern commentaries is, this is a very controversial verse. Thanks. Appreciate it. So let's just take up an offering and go home, all right? No, we're not, we're not going to do that, but I know that some of you wish we would, but we're not going to. So this, this morning, um, if it seems a little bit like a lecture at the beginning, I, I'm sorry, but I've got to set some groundwork on some definitions um, for you to understand where we're coming from and ultimately where I believe that the Bible is coming from. So um, I've got a slide that, that's going to be up behind me today, um, kind of explaining some of these major philosophies and viewpoints. These are not distinct or, or in great detail, um, but I, I need to explain them before I even go into the text, okay? Um, if you'll notice on this slide, and I did not, I, I made this slide, but I'm not the person who originally came up with this idea. I can't even remember the name of the guy. I think it's Guy something. I forgot his last name. Um, I beefed it up as your pastor to try to help the explanation of it. Um, but if you see at the bottom, this is kind of like a sliding scale, and these are the major philosophies and viewpoints in our culture and in our world in regards to the roles of men and women and if they exist or if they don't. All right? 
And so you may learn some words this morning. I promise you, you don't have to know these words, but you do need to practice at least one of them, okay? Um, if you were to go to this side, the, the way left here, and it's a small circle of people, uh, but that's called misandry, and, and that is hyper-feminism um, to the point to where you literally hate men, all right? From that, there is feminism, all right? And I would even say within that circle, it's a little bit bigger, but you can see that each one of these circles, they overlap, okay? So there's going to be some things that not a misandryist would, we would agree with, but there are going to be things within feminism that you and I agree with. They're overlapping, okay? Um, but there are going to be also things that we don't agree with. So you go from this like hyper man-hater out here to, to feminism, and then feminism op- overlaps with what is predominantly within um, evangelical Christian um, is, is two major schools of thought known as egalitarianism and complementarianism, all right? So you move from feminism to egalitarianism, and egalitarianism, again, way dense down. I'm trying to get this. I, I went to public school. Like, I'm not that smart, all right? And so I'm trying to, I'm trying to get this down to where I can even understand it myself. But within this framework and within our culture, there have been a lot of people, Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, who believe in egalitarianism. That means this, that all men are equal in value and dignity and equal in roles, all right? So pretty much anything that a man can do, a woman can do, and anything that a woman can do, a man can do, all right? So they're equal in personhood, they're equal in value, they're equal in dignity, but they are also equal in role. There's not this any kind of hierarchy whatsoever. There is equality in every regard and in every situation, all right? On the, connected to that, though, is another term called complementarianism. Complementarianism would agree with the egalitarians. They would say that there is um, that man and woman, male and female, are equal in personhood and in dignity, and yet in two specific roles or two specific places in the home and in the home of God, as even Timothy will tell us of why Paul is writing Timothy, is that we should know how to act within the household of God. So there is your family, and there is roles within that family, and likewise within the Christian family, the household of God, there are similar roles. Now, having said that, is it still up there? Okay, we're good. All right. Having said that, complementarians believe that this equal in value and personhood, but different roles, is only for the church and the home. Okay? So what does that mean? Can we have a female president? Yes. Can you have a female boss? Yes. All those sorts of things. So it's just very scaled down in all of the plethora of things that men and women can do. Women can serve in many of those roles, but within regards to the home and into the church, there is a a specific role that a woman cannot hold. Okay? 
So that's really important for us to get. Again, are there things that the egalitarians would say that complementarians would agree with? Yes, okay? Um, from complementarianism, there's something called patriarchy. We kind of see this in the Old Testament, don't we? Okay, whatever Abraham says, that is law, all right? And there are people that still believe that, all right? That, that a man, pretty much whatever he says within his home or wherever he is, even that they would say is going as far as that we cannot have a female president, all right? And again, this is all on a scale, because there are scales within complementarianism. There are scales within patriarchy. There are scales within feminism, okay? So you will meet people within these camps that don't even align, all right? Now, hyper-patriarchy is misogyny. It's being a woman hater, all right? You discuss, you know, it's caveman mentality, all right? And so the, the issue with these things is in looking at these things, again, it is really important for us to get. And before I go any further in this sermon, I want you to understand within feminism, egalitarianism, and complementarianism, and patriarchy, I believe that you can be a Christian and fit into those camps. All right? We need to be very charitable within these things. Now, you start talking about hating women, or you start talking about hating men, and I think it would be tough to say since Jesus says, don't hate them, <laughs> right? Love, all right? But I think we've got to be very careful to just label, man, if you're a Christian feminist or a Christian believer in patriarchy, that you're not a Christian. I think it, there could be a person out there who believes in one of those things and is a Christian. I believe egalitarians can be a Christian. To put my cards on the table, I grew up in an egalitarian church, all right? There were women pastors in that denomination, my grandmother was one of them. My first pastorate was inside of a very large church. Philosophically, that church would say that they were complementarian. Where it got confusing was, was across the hall from me, was a person, a lady, a female, a sister, whom I love and still love to this day, but above her name, it said pastor. Do you understand the confusion there? We're complementarian philosophically, but in practice, they were egalitarian. A woman can be a pastor. I have a dear friend in Nashville, close, close friend, brother in Christ, pastor um, who leads a, a congregation in Hendersonville. Through our medical issues over the last several months, he's been one of the, the pastors who has reached out to me weekly in concern for me and my family. Um, He's an egalitarian, in so much that his wife is pastor so-and-so at his church, all right? These are brothers. These are sisters. There's got to be a lot of grace, and there's got to be a lot of charity. The issue is, is I'm not the pastor, and Pastor Justin and Pastor Todd are not the pastors of those churches. We're the pastor of this church. And so to let you know where we're at, and I hope that I can help to prove this even in this sermon today, that we as a mission church take the complementarian view. We're complementarian. And we believe that this scripture shows this over and over and over and over again. This is not slavery. It is not subvert, subversion, right? But we see complementarianism 
even in the Trinity itself. God the Father and God the Son are equal. And yet, what does the Son do to the Father? He submits. They're equal in value. Would you not say that Jesus and God are equal in value and dignity and personhood? No, we we would say that they are equal in those things, and along with the Holy Spirit. And yet, what does Jesus do? He submits to the Father. He is equal with him, and yet he submits to the Father. He does the will of the Father. The Holy Spirit is not Jesus and is not the, the God the Father, and yet what does the Holy Spirit do? He submits. He places himself voluntarily in a place of submission within the Godhead, and we believe that complementarianism reflects that. If you're a member here at Mission, you're complementarian. Okay, we go through all of that within our 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 membership um, discussion. Okay, now I, I, again, I'm not very smart, so I'm trying to kind of lay this out before you in a way that you and I can understand, especially maybe the men so <laughs> more than the women. All right, I like to work with my hands. Um, I come from a long line of carpenters. Jesus being the first one, who better to pattern my life after? All right. Uh, my grandfathers were both carpenters, uh, men with their hands. Several years ago, I decided I'm going to learn how to build things. And if you have, uh, li- ladies or gentlemen, if you have ever been building something, um, how valuable is this if that's really what you need? This is a, a nut, right? I mean, have you ever been in a desperate situation where you are needing this, all right? And you can't finish whatever it is that you are wanting to finish until you find this. So this has high, high value. The only issue with this is, is that if I have a box of these, but I don't have a bolt, then it doesn't matter how valuable this is, because simultaneously, what is also valuable? This. Okay, So within complementarianism, I think that this is a picture of that, is that if you have a man, right, and, and he is, again, he is valuable. One of these is not more valuable than the other. They're actually, the epitome of their value happens what? When they are together, when they function together, all right? But these things are completely different, but they go together. All right? So that's why uh, an illustration of complementarianism, that they're equal in value, but they have different roles. So this in no way is believing that men are better than women. If you will read the scripture and understand where we are as a church, is that we see over and over and over again this sacrificial daily dying of a man for whom? For his wife. But also it should be in the life of the church as well. All right? So that's that's where we are. That's where we land in within our membership is within complementarianism. So now let's dive into this passage and I will hopefully prayerfully show you that this is one of many passages that point toward complementarianism as being the most faithful to the word of God. Cool? All right, let's do this. Okay. Number one, inside of this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, follow along with me. It says this, let woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. 
The first thing that we see inside of this passage that, that, that Paul is doing this discourse, he's been addressing men through several passages and how they're supposed to act whenever we come together as the gathering of the church on a Sunday morning. And then he goes to women and he tells them, man, this is how they are to act, that a, the man is supposed to be holy, that his heart and his motivations of his life is to be holy, that a woman's heart is to, to be modest and to not be distracting whenever we come here together. You can look at the last few weeks' sermons to kind of catch up on those on our website. So we see here in this passage, Paul is continuing with this mindset of addressing, man, what is taking place on the Sunday morning gathering in regards to men and women and their specific roles. And first, in chapter or verse 11, we see, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. So the first thing that we need to understand this morning is that a gospel-centered woman is to learn. Let a woman learn. All right? Now, you may have skipped over that or not thought much about it. But within this context, this would have been earth-shattering and culturing. This was, this was not about um, causing division within this church. Why? Because the division has already taken place. Paul is writing this letter to this young Timothy because the church is splintering through all sorts of divisive things. And so when he starts addressing this thing, it isn't so that that church can split more and more and more and more. No, it's, it's the medicine. Paul is spitting the medicine. He is giving the, the shot. He is unifying this body of believers and saying, don't be divisive, be unified, and this is the way that you can be unified. In doing so, he permits, as the whole, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is telling these women for years and years and years within this Ephesian culture and within the culture at large that, that women are, are not just property, but that women are encouraged to, they get to now, under the gospel of Jesus Christ, that ladies, you can learn. Within Judaism, um, a, a young lady could only go to school for so many years before she was immediately removed from schooling to go home to learn what it meant to be a housewife and to get pregnant. But boys could continue on in their education. But yet, what is Jesus saying here? What's the Holy Spirit teaching us here? It says that women are allowed to receive and should receive an education. Again, we're in a court system, or we're in a, a culture during this time where women were not allowed to give testimony within court. We live in a culture where women were considered to be property. We, we live in a culture, during this culture, when this is being written, Jewish men, were they prayed every day, multiple times throughout the day, thanking Yahweh, thanking God that he did not make them a woman. So the scripture is speaking into this. Jesus and the gospel does not treat women like a second-rate creation, citizens or Christians, but rather hold women in high regard. It is a common statement within the rabbinical law that they would say this, it would be better for the words of the Torah, that's the Old Testament, to be burned than that they should be entrusted to a woman. During the time that this was written, this was very much a culture of where women were to be seen but not heard. The gospel wrecks that mentality. Instead of being shunned, women are invited to the table. They're invited to participate. They're invited to 
learn? How do we see Jesus interacting with women inside of the scripture? He was often being even accused of misconduct with them because it would not have been proper for Jesus to speak out in the open with one of these women. And yet Jesus sits down with the woman at the well. Jesus in a room full of men has his feet washed by a woman. What do you do with Jesus' friendship with a prostitute named Mary Magdalene? What do you do with Jesus' friendship with Mary and with Martha, Elijah's sisters? The gospel tells us, let women learn. Lazarus' sister, sorry. Let women learn. When we see this, though, there is a, a, an imperative that they're to learn quietly. Well, what does that mean? Quietly does not mean that a woman um, is not to ever speak, but rather that she is not to be distracting. See, if, if she is never to speak, even within the gathering, um, then this would be very, you know, contradictory to what we see in other passages. Paul, inside of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he tells women how to pray and prophesy in the gathering of the church during the worship gathering. He tells them, and even in this passage, that they're to leave peaceful and quiet lives. Why? That, that, that these ladies within the church are to learn, but do so quietly, meaning that they, they shouldn't be trying to fight or cause unnecessary division. Women were not to cause turmoil during the worship gathering, which appears to be happening over and over and over again inside of the church of Ephesus. These ladies were not to be argumentative. What Paul is saying here is be a good listener. She is to be respectful without distraction, and this goes for men as well. Right? She's not supposed to be distracting, but a lady is supposed to learn. She's invited. Learn. Become a scholar. Know this Bible. But be teachable. Have you ever met somebody that's not teachable? They just know everything. You can't teach them a thing because they know everything. When I sit down with a young man and he asks me to disciple him, one of the first things I sit with him, I say, are you going to be fat, faithful, available, teachable, and truthful. All right? Faithful, available, teachable, and truthful. Because if, if you know everything, brother, I ain't got time for it. I'll find a brother that does. All right? That it is teachable. And this is what Paul is getting at when he's using this sort of terminology. He's saying, ladies, learn, be teachable, don't be distracting. And, and you may think, well, what do you even mean by this? Well, I'll give you an example. Several of them. Thanks for asking. I have literally been in a worship service where I have seen ladies come stand up, run toward the front of the room, grab the microphone out of men's hand, and begin to spout out all kinds of crazy stuff. All right? In another situation, I've told this story before. I can't go into all of the details. I was preaching one time, and a lady during my preaching kept raising her hand doing this and asking me about circumcision where everybody could hear it. And they got mad because I wouldn't answer a question during the preaching of the word. 
all right? I saw a lady during the middle of a worship gathering come walking in from the back, dressed head to toe like Obi-Wan Kenobi. Completely hooded. And all the men just sat there. And all the women. Walked up front and just started talking. And I'm like, don't try it in here. You'll get clotheslined up in this place. All right? By a woman. I ain't, I ain't touching you. But, hey, Hannah, get her. <laughs> All right? <laughs> Hannah's like, <laughs> I'll get her. <laughs> so just be prepared, ladies, at any moment. Okay? My great-grandmother, Walker, not Texas Ranger, Walker, right? She's diabetic. All right? I've seen my great-grandmother during a worship gathering get filled all of a sudden and decide she needed to say something. That's why Pentecostal churches last forever, right? It took my 80-something-year-old great-grandmother with diabetes. She gets up front, and it's like her eyes roll back in the back of her head like a great white shark during Shark Week. She grabs the microphone. She starts spouting out all of this stuff, and her dentures start flying out of her mouth. She catches them in her hand, shoves them back in, and keeps on going. And this is okay. Now, that's traumatic. I got PTSD from this. <laughs> all right? So did it happen during the church at Ephesus? Yes. Does it happen nowadays? Yes. I've seen brother pastors have to tell people, men as well, about got in a fight during a sermon with a man in Phoenix. All right? I laid him out too. He got slain, all right? He was sitting on the front row. I was about to take him out. Okay? So it's not just all in good Christian love. It is, it, it's not that it's just women, but this also happens with men as well. This is very serious, serious thing. She's to learn what? Respectfully. She's to be teachable. She's not to be back there going, I don't agree with that. I don't like that. Right? That's, that's what Paul is, is getting at with this idea that she's invited to learn. Ladies, you're invited to learn. Just don't be a jerk. Right? Be teachable. Be a respectful person. All right? The second thing that we see inside of this is a gospel-centered woman um, within the worship gathering is to submit to qualified pastors. All right? You're to submit to qualified pastors. In the scripture, we see women are not to submit to all men. That's what our patriarchy brothers, a lot of them believe that. That women are to submit to all men, and yet that is not what we see inside the scripture. What we see inside the scripture is that a, leader, a lady, a female, is to rightfully submit. And if you go back to Ephesians sermon series, I can't go into all of this today. I'm sorry. I know I said a dirty word when I said submission. And if you're new here today, you're freaking out. If you will go back, you will hear an excellent sermon, if I do say, um, on women and what it means to be submissive from a very graceful, humbling understanding, Okay. So we're not talking about being a slave to a man, but a lady is, as unto the Lord, is to submit to her own husband, and then that lady is to submit to a plurality of qualified pastors. 
all right, within the local body. Ladies, it is not saying that you submit to all men. And even in regards to your husband and your pastors, if your husband and your pastors are leading you to sin and asking you to sin, then you do not submit to them because you submit as unto the Lord. All right? You don't, sub- you don't submit into sinfulness. You submit into sanctification. Write that one down. That was good. That was in my notes. All right? So that's, that's the situation that we see inside of this passage is that, one, again, the position of her husband, and two, qualified elders, qualified pastors, which that's what I'm going to preach on next week of why I'm putting the qualifier of qualified pastors is very different than just saying any pastor anywhere, okay? Here's the deal. If you've been around pastors long enough, you'll quickly realize many of them should not be. They shouldn't be. They're not qualified to be that, all right? But she is to obey her leaders. This is Hebrews chapter 17. It's speaking to men and women. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Who are the leaders? Qualified elders, all right? Women are to submit to qualified elders, but again, but ladies, so are the men. The men are supposed to submit to qualified elders as well. All right, so the the gospel-centered gathering here, what's supposed to happen? Ladies, learn. Like, become really smart. Teach yourself Greek. Teach yourself Hebrew. Become systematic theologians. All right? Fall in love with the Word of God. You are invited to learn that and to do that. But be respectful. Be teachable. And also make sure that that is under the covering and the submissiveness of qualified elders. All right? The next thing that we get inside of this passage, if we keep reading here, uh, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet, for Adam was formed first, so on and so forth. All right, so let's, let's focus in. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. A gospel-centered woman is not to teach or to exercise authority. Where? The Sunday morning gathering. All right? The Sunday morning gathering. Within the church. Within the church. She is not to be a pastor. She is not to be an elder. She is not to have the authority. I want you to know I have no authority unless my Bible is open. And the scripture is saying that, man, in this, in this role, in this position, a woman is not permitted to lead, teach as an elder, meaning she is not to be the overarching governing official over the doctrine and the governance of the gathering and the church. All right? This does not mean there's never a place in time for women to teach, because there is. But she cannot be pastor. My grandmother, I believe, she loved the Lord, and I believe that she was wrong. She should have not have been a pastor. Why? Because I'm a Scrooge and I hate women? My wife can tell you, I love one woman a lot. All right? But she cannot hold that role, that specific role. All right? Now, even if a woman has the gift of teaching, guess what she should do? She should use it. 
but it can't be in the form of being or in the position of being a pastor. In Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, it says, this is on teaching on sound doctrine. It, it says, older women likewise be reverent in behavior, not slanders nor slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. So are women to be teachers? Yes, they are. Can they be a pastor? No. There is a place and a role for a woman to use her God-given ability and giftedness to teach within the church, but it is not in the form of governance over the church, governing over doctrine, and being a pastor. In Acts 18.26, it says this, that there was this, this young evangelist named Apollos, right? And Apollos, I mean, he was probably a better preacher than Paul was. We can kind of infer that Apollos, man, he was like, he was like the, the man, right? But in his youthfulness, his theology wasn't straight. And guess who came to him to correct his theology outside of the Sunday morning gathering? It was a couple, Priscilla and Aquila. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 18, they come, they pull Apollos to the side and I can just imagine it. It's like, I, I, I can just imagine, uh, they're not in here, so I'm going to say it. Mike and Cynthia. You did real good. All right? Of course, Miss Cynthia's going to be like, you did real good. All right, she's going to be way up high. She, Mike's going to be like, nodding his head. But, but um, this was a little off, right? Moses didn't build the ark. Do you get that? Was she involved? The Bible says that she was. They corrected his theology. They taught him. Was a husband there? Yes. But she was involved in the correction. Okay? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. The Great Commission. All authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Right? Go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And what? Teaching. Is that just for men? Is making disciples just for men? Is teaching just for men? No, it is not. But place, role, gathering, there are things in places that she cannot do that. And yet there is a plethora, again, a multitude of places where she can do that. In Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, richly, teaching and admonishing one another. Is that just for men? No. I don't know about you, but every week that I go to MC, I am richly teach, taught, and admonished by the ladies in my MC. Are they standing up with any kind of authority? No. Are they being my sisters in Christ? Absolutely. Some of the best things that come about our MC, other than the amazing meal, I don't know what y'all are eating, but ours, it's pretty awesome, are the things that come out of the ladies' mouths, my sisters in Christ. And I'm very thankful for those, those ladies. We see women hold all sorts of positions of leadership within the Scripture. 
But we never see one be a priest in the Old Testament, and we never see one be a pastor in the New. The gospel shows us the value. The gospel says, come and learn. But not just learn, the Bible also compels and enables and opens up the opportunity for ladies to pray and for ladies to prophesy. And I know that there can be, we'd have to play that out. Don't have time this morning of what what that means. Are there places for a lady to teach? All those sorts of things. Yes, the Bible said, yes, 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 yes. But she can't do this. She can't do this. But again, ladies, please understand, as we will see next week, most men are not allowed to serve in this role either. So it's not just a a boundary placed on you as females, but this boundary is also placed on most men. On most men. To help kind of show you what I'm talking about here. I've got another slide. Miss Megan's going to help me out. I want you to imagine within complementarianism and that this is complementarianism and ministry. Look at all the white. And let's say that this white represents the millions of ways that women can be involved in ministry and should be. Are any of us trying to slight Lottie Moon? No. Corey Ten Boom? Elizabeth Elliot? Suzanne Spurgeon? Right? Kathy Keller, Tim Keller's wife? That lady is solid. I mean, she looks, makes me look like a peon in her biblical knowledge. Jen Wilkin? I'm... It would be so intimidating if Jen Wilkin was in our congregation, okay? And, and ladies, that's not a slight on you. I just, I know her, read her, you know, a lot about that woman. Like, I'd be like, is that right? <laughs> I mean, that woman knows the Bible. And me and Justin were talking about this earlier. The only reason that you men and I, as a man, don't read especially one of her books is because it has an Instagram kind of cover on the front of it and looks real frilly. But it is all about the character and nature of God, which we talk a lot about at Mission. Gentlemen, we should read that book. Look at all the things that you get to do, ladies. Do you hear this heartbeat? You get to do all of these things. And you see that pimple right there? That, that's on purpose. That's being a pastor. You can't do that. And let me tell you, if you spent about an hour with me, and let me tell you all the blessings being a pastor, especially in the last few weeks, you'd be like, oh, no, no, you're good. (laughs) Where's the white at? (laughs) Give me some white to do. I don't want nothing to do with this. Okay? Does that make sense? I want you to see this was not a divisive, stifling, women sit down, shut up. I've literally been to a church where they had an altar call, and I thought it was really strange at the altar call moment that only men came up, and then I later found out that that's what they believe, that the ladies can't even come to the altar and pray. Right? Or that if you have a question with inside of a meeting that you got to nudge your wife or slip him a note 
And he's got to be the one to say, hey, my wife really wants to know this question, but she knows that she can't speak in this meeting. I don't think that's what the Bible is saying. All right? Don't believe that's what it's illustrated. We're complementarian. All right? Now, why is this important? A lot of people like to argue that this is just a cultural thing. The ladies were really acting up in Ephesus. So it's just cultural. I want you to know, if you start saying that things within the Scripture are just cultural in every circumstance, that causes all kinds of problems for you and I as believers. Are there some things that are cultural? Yes. Okay? But not everything is cultural. And here's why we know that this was not just a cultural prohibition that Paul was saying specifically on this congregation, and it's because of what he says. Let's keep going. Verse 13, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing. We'll get to that one. If they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Does Paul go to a cultural point to prove this? No. He goes to a biblical one. The first marriage. The first kind of mandate that God has placed inside of the creative order was God. God creates man. From man comes woman. All right? And so Paul comes to this passage. He's not saying this is a cultural thing. No, he, he's saying that this is, this is way, way, way back. This goes all the way back to our first parents. This goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. All right? And, and in doing so, um, even though what happens? Eve is the first one deceived. Satan shows up on the scene, right? He, he deceives the woman. Her husband is, is standing there with her. But, but look at what's taking place. The creative order is all messed up. See, sin, Satan, and death is always trying to destroy the creative order of God. And that's what Paul is alluding to here. Because what happens when God shows up on the scene? Who does he hold responsible? The man. He holds Adam responsible. We see this, again, explained in great detail in the book of Romans, do we not? He holds the man responsible. So God creates an order. Sin, Satan, and death is trying to Yahtzee that sucker. He's trying to mess it all up, right? And he deceives the woman, messing up the order. Satan, he knows the, the deception. And it's not to say that women are more gullible or any of those sorts of things. This has nothing to do with intellectual ability. It just has to do with order. And, 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 and Satan tries to mess all of that up. And yet when God shows back on the scene, he sets it back to the order. Adam, you're most responsible for this. You are responsible for this. And this is the picture that we see in what Paul is trying to get at. See, God was purposeful in creation order. Men and women are equal, again, in dignity, but they have different roles. God creates Adam first. Satan deceives Eve first. Satan is always trying to destroy the word, purpose, plan, and order of God. 
But God established the order. Satan tries to subvert the order. God established this order in the first marriage, and therefore it was intended for all marriages and even in the household of God. Paul is using this pattern not only for marriage, but also in church leadership. God created this pattern for the home and the household for God, for his glory and for our good pleasure. And also so that there isn't confusion. Okay? I've always wanted to sit down with my egalitarian brothers and sisters and just say, hey, can, can you answer me this? How do you handle all of the passage specifically speaking in what's supposed to transpire in the home? Right? Because have you ever thought about this? I mean, we all know famous female pastors. I'm not going to name any names today, but I will send you a long list and an email if you so desire them. We all know those situations. And so we know how this order is supposed to be within the church, and we know how this order is to be within the home. But imagine that you are a male, and you are married to the lead teaching pastor or a pastor at a church. And their biblical mandates for how you're supposed to interact within your home, you're the lead, lay down your life, you know, the boy goes down, so the girl goes free. Right? But what if that girl's your pastor? And you go to Hebrews, and it tells you to do what? Submit to your leaders. Do you understand the confusion? Does he submit to her, or is she supposed to submit to him, or where does that line cross? Because it doesn't matter if they're in the church building or outside the church building. Do you understand the confusion? That's super confusion. So what is the Holy Spirit? It's trying to protect us. So it is supposed, when it's done right and gospel-centered in the home, guess what happens? A woman flourishes. She has, it is voluntary. When she is married to a gospel-centered, Christ-loving man, she will freely give herself of, of those things to him. Okay? And likewise, in the household of the church, so that there's not, again, division or confusion, what has God done? Qualified men are supposed to be in the role of pastor. Okay? The next thing that we see, verse 15, yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love, holiness with self-control. What does that mean? I have no idea. Really. But I have some theological guesses. And I'm glad that these are the theological guesses from men and women. Again, way smarter than I am. The theological guesses is, is that it is talking about when it says that you, yet she will be saved through childbearing, but that is an actual reference back to Eve, again, which he's mentioned, and that it is a reference back to even what Jesus says in the Proto-Evangelion. That's a big fancy word for saying the first gospel. It's presented inside of the curses when God tells Eve that from her she will bear a singular child, and that child will crush the head of the serpent. Okay? So there are many scholars, brothers and sisters in Christ, who believe that, that was a, this is an allusion back to actually the person and work of Jesus, of, of Mary and, or at Eve's lineage, and then Mary and giving birth, and that we are saved through the birth, life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. The second um, view is this, is that 
the lady, the women within our congregation, that you're saved and sanctified um, by faithfully fulfilling your roles. Personally, guns to my head, that's where I land. Because I think that fits better within the context, and it even connects to the passage. Saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Okay? Now, what it's not saying is that, ladies, if you have given birth to a baby, you're saved. All right? You may have been crying out to Jesus in that moment. But that was not a salvific moment. He's also not saying, ladies, for those of you who are barren, that you cannot, you can't be saved because you can't have children. What I believe that he's responding to is that there are roles for men and there are roles for women. And when we fulfill those roles within the gospel, guess what God does? He sanctifies us. And a woman going through the child rearing and and bearing experience is a sanctifying moment, ladies. Is that true? Is it? Yes, thank you, one lady. Uh, You need to ask me if you can speak next time before you shout out like that. I appreciate that. Um, But that experience and God sanctifying you through that nine-month experience, I will never have that. I'll never have it. So he, he wasn't saying we're ultimately we're saved through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. But not only are we saved by that, but God is saving us today. Did you know that? And we will be completely and forever saved when he returns. And so God is going to use child rearing, giving birth, not being able to give birth, the continuing of faith and holiness and self-control. What's he doing? He's talking about sanctification here. Okay? Now, you don't have to agree with me on that. I think we can both be complementarian and differ on those things. All right? But I believe that's what, what we're getting at here. In the working out of your salvation with fear and trembling, ladies, that is unique and distinct to you in ways that a man will never experience. Okay? Now, a few minutes here. Close. What does this mean at mission? What does this mean at mission? Brothers and sisters, friends, guests, uh, we as a church are unapologetically complementarian in our philosophy, but we are still trying to figure out what this means in our practice. Can women teach in a seminary class? Can a woman lead an MC or teach a Sunday school class with men in it? How do we put a woman into leadership and influence and have their voices heard within our church? See, one of the things that we don't have inside the Scripture is Sunday school didn't exist. Every time the church gathered, guess who was up there? The pastor or pastors. So these new blessings, these measures of grace, I I think Sunday school is a great thing, can be, right? So glad we got rid of that Sunday night thing, aren't you, though? (laughs) All right. (laughs) Um, 
MCs didn't exist 2,000 years ago. We can't go to chapter and verse and it tell us whether or not a, a woman can lead and facilitate a discussion inside of a small group where there is co-ed things. And so we're, we're trying to, to work all of these things out. We're going to see in a few weeks that we here at Mission believe that a woman can serve as a deacon. So we need to be clear. This is what one of the commentators said, and I, I love this. I'm thankful for this, this, this statement. So we need to be clear, brothers and sisters, where Scripture is clear, but we need to be wise where Scripture is not clear. And that can be different from church to church. All right? And so we need to understand that, 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 that we want to be faithful, but we also want to avoid becoming accidental Pharisees and placing yokes in bondage that, that isn't there. Okay? So it, it, gets, it gets muddy. It gets, again, within, even in, within complementarianism, I bet some of you were like, no, a woman can never lead a Sunday school class with men and women in it. And there are probably some of you in here and go, yeah, as long as the pastors have, um, you know, qual assessed her and know her theology and she's got the gift of teaching, then some of you would probably say, yeah, that's totally fine. She's not being a pastor. She's, she's facilitating a class. And those are two people who claim to be complementarian inside of this room. I've got a friend who claims to be complementarian, but he believes that even when women teach women, that based on the Titus passage, that she can only talk to women about how to take care of their house and how to love their husband and how to rear children. I'm not there. Okay? But that's what he, I believe he's a Christian. He's, he's a pastor of a church. But that's, that's where he holds. So, again, we go back to the original thing. We need to understand we got to be charitable. Are we complementarian? Yes, unapologetically. If you're going to be at mission, there will never be a woman pastor, elder, overseer in this church. If they do that down the road, that, that's fine. There are still our brothers and sisters in Christ. There will be things in that that we would agree with. But we can't go there. All right? So what, is, what does this mean? We're, we're trying to be faithful. Let me, a confession. Ladies, please listen to me as one of your pastors, as one of your elders. Specifically at mission, as one of your pastors, I want to confess and ask for your forgiveness because we have not always provided and made on-ramps for you to engage in ministry or for your voice to be heard to the level that it needs to be heard. And we, I, believe that this is an oversight on our part as elders. A few years ago, I think it was the Dendies, when they were, we were trying to woo them to come to mission, so we laid it out before them about our great facilities. And um, I have a really good brochure. It's pretty awesome. Um, it's like, you know, timeshare sort of thing. It's, it's awesome. You guys are checking to it. Kind of multi-level marketing. It's awesome. And so we were trying to woo them to join us. And I think it was Chris or Katie asked, um, what's, what's, what do you think is one of the biggest weaknesses of mission? And I immediately said, women's ministry did not take a second breath. I'm a dude. I like dude things. Okay? I'm such a renaissance man. I like poetry and hunting. All right? That is weird. That's what we call that. Weird. 
I, I want to be protective of myself. I want to be protective of women. I've got lots of pastor friends that are no longer pastors because of the decisions that they've made. I think that has led us to be way more fearful. And we've been guiding some of our decisions based on fear of not wanting to break a line. And Justin, you're here today. If Todd listens to this one day, if I'm wrong, please, I welcome. But that's just, that's, this is totally my opinion at this point. It's not thus saith the Lord. It's not thus saith the elders of Mission Church. This is thus saith Eric Baker, one of the elders. So I think in doing that, <coughs> which is good to protect, we also simultaneously have not always known what to do. But you know what? I can say this, that even in the last year that we've seen this get better. I think about the, the Bible study the weekly Bible study that several of you ladies are in, that us elders have absolutely nothing to do with that. Except for, yes, go, go do more. How do we help you do that? I think about the ladies who I know are in one-on-one or one-on-group discipleship that's taking place. And I'm very, very thankful for that. Another confession in seeking forgiveness is in ignorance. Again, I don't think that we've always provided the best practices in how to provide pastoral care for women within the church. I do believe that we need healthy biblical boundaries, but not barricades. And I want, to, I want you to forgive us if you've ever felt that we as your elder body, or, or even me, uh, was untouchable by you. I don't have that all figured out how we do that, especially at this size and where we're at. Okay, so I, I need more patience. We need more patience and more grace. Not sure what that looks like. You know, we talk about these things all the time. There are ladies that we need to talk to. Well, how do we do that? And it be appropriate and not look inappropriate. All right? So we're in that constant tension because, because guess what? I'm, we're your pastors too, ladies. You're our sisters in Christ. You're not objects. You're our sisters. And we're trying to figure that out. So, ladies, I would ask you, uh, members of mission, um, that you would help us. We're trying to become healthier. Last thing is this, quickly. Five prayers for the ladies of Mission Church. Ladies, I want you to know that you hold great value in our church, that you are co-laborers in this ministry. We function best when we're together. Equal value, different roles. And these are the prayers that I have for you this morning. Number one, that your affections for Jesus would be overwhelming and evident in all aspects of your life. Number two, that in your home and church, we would truly experience what it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ. That we really know what that is. And it's not just calling someone, you know, um, Sister Amber. But that we live out that sisterhood and brotherhood. All right? Justin jokes about my wife all the time that, you know, she's the sister I never wanted. Right? thing is, is that Laura says much worse things about Justin that I won't repeat because they make me blush. But they're all true. 
Not all of them. But mostly true. All right? I want us to know what that looks like. Does that make sense? Like, I mean, Hannah and I have grown up together. But it's weird going to high school with somebody and then becoming sister. And with that relationship, I'm very thankful for that relationship. But it, it's deepening. What, it, what does it mean to be the household of God? Brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray that for you ladies and for us gentlemen that we figure out how to do that. Number three, ladies, that you would know the Bible more than you know the latest women's book or devotional. And you're like, well, Pastor Eric, I'm reading blah, 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 blah. That is not a Bible study. And you need to learn the difference. A Bible study is you doing the hard work of just being in this Bible. And it is, ladies and gentlemen, hard work. I would have swapped with any, I would probably let a lady preach today. That's how bad I didn't want to preach today. (laughs) Right? I, I wouldn't do that. But I thought about it. Books can be valuable, but they are supplementary to a robust understanding of God's word, theology, and practice. Where are the ladies from Mission Church writing systematic theologies? Teaching to other ladies, even, systematic theologies or the characters of God. Not just Proverbs 31. Not just getting together and drinking coffee or knitting or painting signs. That is not women's ministry. Do those things. But that's not women's ministry. Women's ministry is sharpening as iron sharpens iron as you dive into the depths of God's character and nature through his word. That's women's ministry. And we need those things. Number four, that you would begin to seek the Lord about the thousands of ministries that you could lead and be involved in and lead under the blessing of Mission Church. As your elders, we want to know how do we equip you to do those ministries. It's a prayer that we have. Number five, I'm going to pray. You guys have been awesome. Went way longer when I was playing on today. In the, in the future, I pray that we have a woman of God on paid staff of Mission Church not as a secretary and an administrative assistant, but a woman of God, a woman minister, which is not a pastor, but a woman minister whose life is marked by the gospel in her life, her marriage, her mothering, and, and her essential and indispensable ministry to women of our faith family. I long for that day. And maybe it's one of you. I pray that God would grace us. I think it's one of the missing links within our church, ladies. And I'm going to ask that you would join me in praying for those things. Okay? I love you. If you have questions, concern, if I was not clear, please come talk to me. I'd love to talk to you more about these things. I, I, obviously, if, I hope that you've heard today is that I don't have this all together. I'm trying to figure it out. I am definitely complementarian. 
how that plays out in every way, function, and format. I'm still trying to figure that out, what's the healthiest way to do that, along with these elders, but also along with you. Cool? All right, let's pray.